Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. So I'm joined this morning by Alison Ettridge, who's the Chief Executive Officer for Talent Intuition. So Alison, thank you for joining me this morning. Nice to talk to you. You're welcome. I'm the same. And we are going to be talking about a really important subject, I think, around how can leaders make better use of data and information in making more informed management and leadership choices. So it's a huge subject and one I know that you're passionate about. How would you like to sort of address that to start with? I think that it's really interesting. When I set the the business up initially, I set it up because I'd heard time and time again um, from leaders in the external world, um, what's the best way of us doing this? How do other businesses do this? Um, How do we avoid making the same mistakes that others have made? Um, And it just felt as if there was this gap between what was happening at a strategic level and the big decisions and what was happening by the time it came to implementing those decisions. And so that was a gap that I felt we, we could fill. I think that's a really interesting subject to start with. Thank you. And, you know, there is that gap, isn't there, often between what you as a leader expect to happen and what actually then turns out, as you say, later on in the process. So where do you think they should start with understanding how gaps emerge? Oh, that's a big question. So I think it's probably important to kind of hone down and and say that most of the data that we provide is relating to people and talent and labour market, rather than trying to kind of cover the, the broader, wider conversation, because there is lots of data available around financial data, regulatory data, legal data, location data. And there are multiple sources. I think the starting point for any business should be assuming that the data is out there, actually, um, but also assuming that it isn't in one place currently that's easy to get hold of. But there isn't a lack of data. It's just that there's so many sources of data in disparate places and multiple formats that actually it's quite hard to get hold of. So just, I guess, for information, what what sort of data are you talking about? Give me some examples. Yeah, so if I talk through a, a really specific example, actually, it was a business that was looking at where to locate a new R&D facility. And this particular business had narrowed down to four locations globally, but needed to understand which one was going to be the best one. And they'd got data about country level data. So actually, what are the countries like? They've got city level data. So you've got your economic data that gives you your GDP. You've got your city level data that will give you your percentage of employment and your regulatory data that talks about the laws in each of those particular cities. But actually, what then needs to happen in order to implement that from a people perspective is that you need to understand whether or not there are people there who you can hire, whether or not they're likely to want to work for you and how experienced they are, how much you need to pay them, how attractive the location might be to an individual, and and perhaps more importantly, what would be the cost of an unwind strategy if you decided that actually that wasn't the place for you to be in the longer term. So that's a good example of where you've got some fairly basic available data from places like the World Bank around Mm -hmm. GDP and population and infrastructure. But actually, when it comes down to the implementation, to the nitty gritty, to the can we actually get people and do they want to work here? That data for me is is the missing link. 
and that sounds really important knowledge to have when you're when you're going to be making a really major investment decision like that. I think it's becoming more important. So I think Deloitte talked some 15 years ago about the war for talent and how the war for talent was going to hit us in 2020. And, and I think everybody um, sort of raised their eyebrows a little bit, but actually they were spot on. You know, there is this... The, the wider, broader demographics of an ageing population, of globalisation in the world, and of a convergence of vertical markets has meant that actually people are now all competing for talent, and talent is the driver that is going to give a business competitive edge above all else. So probably 15 years ago it wasn't that important. Probably five years ago this piece wasn't that important. Now this fundamentally is about helping a business to, to gain a competitive advantage. And are you seeing organisations and, and leaders of organisations use that kind of information with impact now? Have you got some examples of where people have done that really well? So, yes, we're seeing businesses use it. I think the businesses that we're seeing use it are those that have what I refer to as a three-legged stool, which is probably the wrong way of um, referring to on a podcast. <laughs> but, but actually you have where the CEO, the CFO and the CHRO mm-hmm. all actually working together as part of this, this three-legged stool to make really big decisions. And in those cases, absolutely. You know, this is about bringing together the big strategic concepts, the impact on the the business, the P&L and the finances and the impact on people. And that's a good example. It's hard for us to talk about specific client examples because most of them are are, are confidential work. But I can give you examples of high-profile businesses that are making these decisions now that we're not involved with. So um, this week, Channel 4 have announced that they are going to locate their new centre in Leeds, for example, and they've Mm -hmm. shortlisted four cities. So we'd like to think that this data was being used to inform exactly those sorts of decisions. So what happens when that data's been gathered and it's been processed and decisions have been made? What sort of checks and balances do you see in place to sort of monitor that on an ongoing basis? That's a really good question. So I I think that's part of the the gap that we're looking to fill with our new tool, which is a software platform called Stratagens. So typically speaking, these sorts of projects have been talent research projects that have been quite manual, heavily researched and tend to be a one-off project. And that's actually meant that it's been, in some cases, time and cost prohibitive for businesses to, to go through this approach. We've launching, or we're launching a, a tool called Stratagens, which brings all of this data into one place. So we're gathering the big data from loads of disparate sources and bringing that together on a platform um, so that actually it becomes part of an ongoing process. It gets embedded in the decision-making on an ongoing basis, um, but also so you can monitor what's changing. And and we're not there yet with the technology, though, though I'm hoping this week I may learn more, but we're not there yet. We want to get to the point where actually we can start to make predictions about what is likely to happen around particular skill sets. So if we talk about the STEM challenge, for example, it's a mm. great example if we can start to monitor and track the flow of STEM talent around the world and then using big data and some machine learning then start to apply some prediction to that, then that becomes part, that becomes embedded as part of a decision-making process rather than being a one-off project. And do you think, I was listening to what you're saying, it's so interesting about how useful that data will be on an ongoing basis. And is that going to be data that's available to smaller organisations as well as those that 
potentially have the scope to purchase that at this stage? That's a really good question. I I actually think the development of a tool makes it more available to smaller organisations. So I think up until now, a small organisation wouldn't necessarily have had the time or resource to put to a manual project Mm. or perhaps even the the knowledge that it's important to do that Uh, because if you're looking on different scales then then the differences Mm. become less obvious in the first instance they they only really become obvious once you've implemented something we'd like to think that actually the development of tool brings brings that data to the desktop of any business whether they're they're small or large Mm. Um, and and from a cost point of view it's significantly less inhibitive than doing a manual project and I would like to think that we can launch an SME light version that would focus rather than on global data on some regional data and that that starts to become I think really important and and potentially to then flip that and start to use it for local authorities and local governments for them to start to look at business attraction and say look hey look at the great talent that we've got here and look at our surrounding area and look at what else we've got to talk to you about so that we can start to look at where corporates, where SMEs, where high growth businesses are located around the world. But I may be talking more now about visions rather, rather, rather than necessarily reality. So I'm thinking about your three-legged stool comment, actually, and I'm thinking about um, <laughs> the changes that we've seen in the role, in particular, of the CHRO over, I don't know, even the last 10 years, perhaps. It's interesting to hear that role described as someone who would be really using and analysing data to that in, to that impact, isn't it? What advice would you give somebody in that role now about how to, how to use that if they're not comfortable with it, if it's not something that they've done before? So I think that there's been an, an ongoing conversation around the role of the HR director and, and the increasing role of CHRO that has been linked to credibility, actually, and generally that there is a lack of credibility around that function. If we look at where to start, I read a great um, article a few weeks ago that came from a, a big data business that's not in this space, actually. It's, a, it, it, it's in internal data space. And they had this quote that was, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. And, and I thought, oh, I'm going to steal that. Um, so I'm glad I did now. Because I just think it's, it's a really, really interesting point. So if, if you're going to the table and you're having conversations and all you can bring to the table is an opinion and not data, then actually that's, that's, that's the first question. If we then look at so the common causes of, of, if you like, a barrier to credibility... When you've then got that data, you need to be able to make sure that the data is valid. Because clearly, if you take data to the board and they query its validity or its source, then you've lost credibility, lost more credibility. I then think looking at the scope of the data that you have access to is probably the next, the next biggest question. So there's an increasing rise for HR in particular in the use of internal workforce data, typically in lots of systems, typically in disparate places, but actually becoming increasingly easy to find with the right tools. But actually, if the only data you've got is internal, then you're missing a broader view. And, And we hear that in some cases, actually the first place that HR will go to is Google for the answers, you know, um, in order to try and grab some external data. And then I think looking at the data in, in a different way and starting, starting with a big question and then making sure that it's a big question that actually you can influence. 
So you may have a question that says, okay, how do we become more agile as a business? Um, so that's a great big question that says we're, we're changing or fundamentally changing our approach to um, making decisions or to product development or whatever that might be. But actually the data on that is so qualitative that as a first project, as a first start, an individual could get lost and not be able to tick the validity and the scope and the, and the lens boxes. How is digital transformation um, affecting the skills that I need is a much harder question. There's much more quantitative data available around digital and skills and the location of those skills um, and the organisations that are hiring those and what you would need to pay and where they're hiring them. So if I take those two kind of big, broad questions, first shot, trying to build credibility through data, Pick one where you know you've got quantitative data. So if it gets challenged, it's really easy to come back with these are the sources and this is this is what we found. So great advice there around how to approach big questions. I'm thinking about perhaps smaller scale decisions now that a leader might be involved in just thinking about scaling that use of data down a little bit where in some smaller organizations perhaps the chief exec or the managing director is an expert in their own area perhaps they are actually an engineer or perhaps they've come up through the sales director route and you might have seen this yourself that very often making decisions based on gut instinct you know you hear those words don't you it's just a gut feel that's the right thing to do how might we persuade those leaders to make more use of data to make a better informed decision so uh, I don't think it's our place to say whether a gut Mm. is right or wrong and and I think if you are a leader of a business that has grown rapidly Um, more often than not your gut will be right and your gut will get better um, but from the more mistakes that you make I I guess it depends on who you're trying to influence and and who the stakeholders are so if 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 I think about a smaller business and and, you know I'm thinking of a a very small SME if, if your gut is wrong in that circumstance the person that it affects and the stakeholders that it affects are you and your team so it's kind of within your control a little bit Actually, as you grow and you may have shareholders or you may have a broader team or you may have a bigger management team or investors or, or whoever that might be, your stakeholders are different. And actually, if your gut is wrong, um, that, that has a bigger impact at that point in terms of the various stakeholders. And so I think you know, if the data is there, if the data is available and if the data is produced in such a way that actually visually it's really easy to read... Why wouldn't you use it to back up your gut? So there's almost a, you know, don't, don't question your gut, but actually your gut can't produce a piece of paper or a graph that says this is the reality of what's happening. Your gut can't be on the ball of what is happening all the time because um, you, you've got your head in your business. And so this isn't saying your gut is wrong, it's saying find other ways to support support what you're feeling. I'm really interested in something that you referred to there about how we present and communicate data with real impact as well. There's something very important about that, isn't there? Uh, oh, massively. Yeah, we all know that actually human beings are visual and they make decisions very quickly. If faced with, I don't know, a, a spreadsheet with numbers on where you have to look for the trends and you have to try and figure, figure out what, what the data is telling you, 
then actually the room for error is quite high mm. for a starting point. But actually the, the, the scope for boredom, and, and I speak on a personal level actually, is, is, is really high. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh my God, what is this telling me? Um, I just need to make a decision. I need to make it quickly. And actually that's, that's something we, we can come back to. So I hear, I hear a lot from big corporates, good enough data is fine. We're making decisions so quickly, we just need good enough data. But if I come back to then how that's presented, yeah, if you were looking at, let's take at its simplest, at a particular location for either growth or consolidation of your business, and that doesn't matter whether that's uh, Singapore or whether it's uh, Leeds or Cardiff, to, to understand the businesses that are in that environment, who are the top five businesses in that environment? Who are the top five employees? And, and on a map, what does that environment look like? And actually, we've also started to bring in images um, around cities and locations and descriptions because images are so powerful. Mm. So when, when we're pulling in, you know, we'll pull in all, all of the economic and the financial and the legal and the regulatory data. But actually, if, if you're looking at putting an office somewhere, let's just take follow that, that, that theme through. If you're looking at putting an office somewhere, nothing is more powerful than an image for you to say, actually, is that a place where we want to be? So whether it's a graph, whether it's a pie chart, whether it's a chart, what it shouldn't be is rows and rows of numbers and data. And there are so many um, tools now that can help you to visualise data. Actually, I don't think there's an excuse for not having really visual data and, and data that you can interact with. So I think, again, if we move away from kind of flat data, so I refer to flat data being um, a you know, picture in, in, in a board report. Actually, if you've got something in front of you where... I don't know, a non-exec director can say, okay, let's talk about our gender diversity policy. And we've all put this percentage of we want to have 30% females in our business by 2020 or whatever it might be. Um, actually, are there any women out there that can do this? Um, you know, that's the first question. So, so is our percentage based on any data or have we just made that up? And then, actually, what happens if we start to mess around with the years of experience that we require or the seniority of women that we require? So to be able to do that on a graph interactively in front of a board, I think is so much more powerful than, oh, I don't know, here's a piece of paper. We've looked at the, the, the women that are in our industry. This is the percentage that there are, and that's how it informs our decision. We'll have to go away and find out. Yeah, and I think that's the difference, is that you can now have data that is really interactive, really visual, and therefore genuinely impactful, rather than, oh, we'll need to wait till our next board meeting when I come back with another report. Oh, I think that's so interesting because it's really hooking into emotion there, isn't it? And, you know, a data that stimulates an emotional response, something that you want to interact with and do something with, is always going to have more impact, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and speed. You know, it's, mm. People make decisions so quickly now because other people are making decisions and because data is there, I guess. But, yeah, you, the, the days of I'll, I'll come back with more information, I think, are dying. So just finally, Alison, just thinking about a really new manager or an emerging leader suddenly, I guess, thinking about how they can use data with impact in an early stage in their career. Is there any advice you would give to somebody in that situation who's just starting to think about making more compelling arguments and more informed decisions? Where, sh- where should they start? What should they do? Gosh, I, I think it's probably easier for them, actually, than, than for existing leaders because they've grown up in a world of data. So I, I, I guess the first 
comment is be bold enough and brave enough to say, hold on a minute, there is data that can answer this question for us. Let's not just listen to gut. You know, let's let's make sure that we, we, we look outside the box. So I think that's the first piece of advice because actually this is a world that they've grown up in. And then the second piece is is to have a look, to start, you know, to make that start and say, okay, if I've got a question I need an answer to, um, yeah, have a Google. If that's the first place that you go to, have a Google and see what it brings back and have a look at the sources because the data is there. It's not easy to get hold of and quite often it's behind paywalls. Yeah, and, and, and the work actually is in bringing all of the data together and making it mean sense. But as a starting point, be confident enough to try and have a look because some data is better than no data as long as it's valid data. Great parting advice. Thank you. And actually really relevant entirely up the leadership ladder. Definitely some data is better than no data at all, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you so much. That's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks very much. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Podo podcast produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndell. Thank you.